I invite you to bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we thank you for this day. What a gift it is to be with your church. Lord, even as we gathered here last night, many of us, uh, for the Feast of Epiphany, God, we continue that feast. Lord, we recognize that every time we gather, it is to gather around not only the table of our Lord Jesus, but with Jesus in Holy Scripture. God, to be with the people of God and focused and gathered around him. He is our he is our light. He is our life. God, he is, he is our winter fire who keeps us warm in the midst of the cold life, even this cold winter. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to see him, to feel his presence here this morning. Help us by faith to trust Jesus, whether it be for the first time, God, or for the thousandth time that we would come, that we would come with faith this morning and gather around him to see him, to trust him. So, Lord, we ask you you do that even now as we come to your scriptures. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us, make us alive, help us to be humble to hear. We ask all this in the matchless name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So I, I want to start with a little bit of inside baseball. Um, for those who don't know, that even the reference inside baseball, uh, it's just, this is like Anglican talk. This is Anglican speak here at the beginning. So in the past, in the past, I have often, on Sunday mornings, I've often skipped my daily office readings. So some of you might know that in our daily office, and this is in the back of our prayer book, we, we have a cycle of reading through the Bible, and so we read through the whole Old Testament in one calendar year, and we read through the whole New Testament twice in a calendar year. So when I'm talking about the daily office, I'm talking about those, those scheduled readings for morning and for evening prayer. And, and for me, actually, I'm so bad in my evening routines that I try to do them all in the morning. So I read four in the morning rather than two in the morning and two at night. You got to do what works for you, okay? If, if the daily office doesn't work for you, get Charles Spurgeon's morning and evening. Get some other devotional, some other Bible in a year plan. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But that's what, I, when I'm saying daily office, I'm talking about sort of our daily Bible routine. But normally, normally on Sunday mornings, I, I don't, make the time to read my daily office reading. So I'm skipping at least one of those every week. Uh, and that's because I'm focused on my sermon for that morning, which is our Sunday morning lectionary. So we have two cycles of reading. One of them, we read the Bible a lot more, a lot more quickly. Um, and the other is our Sunday morning lectionary, which goes through basically the whole Bible in three years. Okay. So there's a little inside baseball for you. Why am I telling you that? Why am I telling you that? Well, I was reading the daily office this morning and I completely scrapped my previous sermon and I'm going to preach on none of those readings that you just heard, but the readings from the daily office. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So you guys know that sometimes, sometimes you don't plan it, uh, the readings for January 7th, 2024, those aren't specifically for the baptism of our Lord. This is not, it doesn't always fall on January 7th, this feast day, but all of these readings in some way, shape, or form talk about the waters of baptism. 
And I was shocked this morning as I was reading at 2.45 in the morning. As you guys know, I do on Sunday mornings pretty early. And so there's, there's a couple of providential reasons why. One, the readings are all about the waters of baptism, the waters of deliverance. And secondly, we, uh, sort of surprising to all of us in many ways, uh, we are going to celebrate a baptism this morning that kind of came out of nowhere. Right? And this is the perfect Sunday to do that. And these readings, uh, I think, confirm that in my heart anyway, uh, these providential readings from our daily office. Now, Brian, I'm going to talk to you first. And don't, don't hear this as me only talking to him. You could receive this as for yourself. But I'm talking to you. In just a few minutes, we're going to pray a very important prayer over you. Now, this is, this is an ancient prayer. So it's been throughout the history of the church. But it's a very reformed prayer. Martin Luther had a very similar prayer that influenced uh, Thomas Cramer as he was writing this prayer into our baptismal liturgy. It's an old prayer, and we're going to pray it over you, Brian. I'm going to pray it over you. All of us together are going to join with me um, that you would be separated from the unfaithful. This is how Luther talks about it. You're going to be separated from this world, and he makes reference to... He makes reference to Noah and to the flood. It's a, it's a really interesting prayer. And we're going to pray that you, Brian, will p- be preserved with us. And here's the language. In the holy ark of Christ's church. That's a big phrase. That's a big phrase. And Luther adds, I love this, you'll be dry and safe. Right? So even as we're thinking about baptism, we're talking about being dry. Being dry and safe. From the waters. Even, even as I'm going to get you real wet here in a few minutes, um, we want you to be dry and safe in the ark of Christ's church. And so I've been reflecting on that a little bit this morning from our daily office readings. You can look at those. They're in the back of your prayer book on page 734 for January 7th. If you look through the day, those are what I'll be following this morning. It's Genesis 7. Uh, John chapter 4, Jeremiah chapter 6, and Galatians chapter 6. I'm not reading all those, but for future reference, uh, if, you, if you go back, um, these are our daily office readings. So and the reason why I'm doing this, and it's specifically because it was exactly what I needed to hear this morning, but I pray that God would speak to you. There's a gravity. There's a, there's a weightiness to this story that is summarized in our readings this morning especially appropriate for this day, for the baptism of our Lord. And so um, this is my intention. Brian, I want to bless you. But even as I bless you with these, with these thoughts, um, I want to admonish you. I want to admonish us all to, to follow after the Lord. And I want to call you into this hope and this joy that we have in Christ Jesus. His baptism. So if, if, we, if you don't remember anything that I say in the next 15 or 20 minutes, Hear this, Christ's baptism for us is way more important than our baptism. You hear that? Our baptism is meaningless if Christ isn't baptized for us, right? There's the big idea, and we're going to reflect on that from the beginning. So the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, begins with God creating man in his image. He makes us like him in his likeness, but... We, we, you and I, we were not content to be like him. 
Blaise Pascal puts it like this, we could not bear such glory. He gave us all this glory. We couldn't bear it without falling into presumption. In other words, we couldn't receive this glory without thinking we deserved it, right? This is, we presume that this is our right. I want to make myself my own center, Blaise Pascal says, and do without God's help. So he makes us like him, but we can do it by ourselves. We were presumptuous from the very beginning. The wickedness of man, the story goes on to say, was great on the earth continually. Every intention of every thought of every human heart was only evil and presumption. And so Genesis chapter 7, this was our reading in the daily office this morning. In righteousness, God caused the earth the language is, is provocative to split open. The waters burst forth from below, and then he caused the heavens to split open and waters fell down from above. So from, a, from below and from above, water everywhere. And in his righteousness, God cleansed. He washed clean the face of the earth from the evil and filth of our rebellion of our sinful rebellion that we all deserved. This was righteous. God, God had every right to do this, but at the same time, in His mercy, God shut Noah and his family in the ark. In the ark, this was all mercy. They were evil like everyone else. Go read the rest of the story. But they passed through the waters dry and safe. Dry and safe in the ark. This is mercy. This is the mercy of God, and because of God's mercy alone, humanity, all of us, were saved and can be saved, even though we deserved complete destruction, He's merciful to us. And so God's mercy was greater still. He promised never, after the flood, He promised never to judge the whole earth again with a flood. So Tertullian in his, in his catechism, in his teaching about baptism, he refers to this story at the beginning of the third century. So in the early 200s, Tertullian says this, After the deluge, after the flood, by which the iniquity of the old world was purged away, after, so to speak, the baptism of the world, Tertullian says, the dove, as herald, proclaimed to the earth, the tempering of the wrath of heaven, being sent forth from the ark and returning with an olive branch, which is a sign of peace among the nations. So from the very beginning of the church, this story was read as a baptismal story from a, from a baptismal perspective. So thousands, fast forward thousands of years later, humanity still were rebellious. All of humanity, they did not believe, I can do without God's help. And so Jeremiah 6, another reading for our daily office today. Not only were all those outsiders, all those pagan nations out there who lived far away from God's presence and His promises, not only were they still rebellious, but God's people, the people like you and I who are around God's Word, who hear God's Word, those whom God spoke to directly, and intimately, even as a father speaks to his son, those who were rescued out of Egypt, who were rescued through the flood, all these rescue stories, 
Jeremiah wept for Jerusalem, for his people. After all of God's mercy, after he spoke to them, God's people still did not think they needed his cleansing. They didn't, they didn't hear. They didn't think that they needed his cleansing. They healed their wounds lightly. This is the language of Jeremiah. Lightly, as if their wounds were very light. They put a band-aid on a gaping wound that was killing them. They declared that they had peace. They had shalom without God. They were not clean. They didn't have peace, but they thought they did. Everything seemed okay to them in the land. And even then, even then, in his mercy, God would not wipe them from the face of the earth with a flood. He didn't wipe them out completely, but he didn't leave them just to, just to be in presumption to have some kind of fake peace, some temporary shalom. God sent a pagan nation, and the text says, like a sound of roaring waters to cleanse his people yet again. So from these first lessons, from these first lessons, Brian, hear this. I need to hear this. All of us need to hear this. Don't take the waters lightly. Hear me. Don't take the waters of baptism lightly. Baptism is not a safe ritual. Now, I for one, as a, as a new covenant priest in the household of God, I'm very thankful that uh, we are not practicing another covenant ritual. Our ritual is less awkward today. It's certainly less bloody than the old covenant liturgy. Brian, we could talk about that another time, but we're not practicing that sign anymore. Baptism is a little more clean, maybe, but it's not safe. It's not safe. Baptism is joyful, but baptism is serious business. This is the story that we're invited into. Water poured out upon us to cleanse us, to drown our sin, to cleanse us from sin, to heal our hardness of heart, our presumption. This is the judgment of God poured out. So that's what the waters point us to. To pass through the waters is a weighty thing. Here's the next question. Here's the turn to the hope, the joy that I talked about. How can any one of us come out alive on the other side? How, how can we come out alive? How can we survive the deluge, the downpour, or else the waters breaking forth from below? Here, here from our gospel reading this morning, Mark chapter 1 and verse 9, in those days Jesus of Nazareth, from Nazareth of Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when Jesus, he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. The heavens were being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Does that sound familiar? Did you guys just hear that? So in judgment, God tore open the heavens in Genesis chapter 7. After the torrent, God sent a dove to Noah with a message of peace. Peace has come. Peace has come. And Mark begins his gospel with this same story. 
He, he wants us to think about the same story, specifically at the baptism of Jesus. The heavens are torn open and the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus. And Mark only uses this word torn open twice in this gospel. Right here at the beginning, at the baptism of Jesus, and once more at the end, at the cross. At the baptism and at the cross, torn open. Torn open, hear this. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and he breathed his last. What happened right after Jesus died on the cross? And the curtain of the temple was torn open. It was torn in two from top to bottom. As if, as if heaven is being torn open from top to bottom. You and I, we need baptism because our wickedness is great. The thoughts of our hearts are evil continually. We are prideful pagans, most of us. We are drunken fools like Noah. We are dead like faithless Babylon that judged Israel. And we are dead like faithless Israel who didn't listen to the word of the Lord. And all of us we need to be washed. We need to be washed and cleansed and judged. And all of us deserve to die in the waters of judgment. So baptism is serious business. But here's, here's the reality of the gospel. Baptism is not your business. At the beginning of the gospel, baptism is not your work. It's not something you do. It is something done on your behalf. The only man in history, in the history of humanity that didn't need to be baptized. The only man, the only man who did not deserve to die because of sin is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the beloved son of his father, the beloved son, he entered into the waters of baptism, not because he needed to be cleansed, but we needed to be cleansed to save us. That's why he went into the waters of baptism. He willingly went to the cross to be baptized. This is the language of the Apostle Paul over and over again. Baptized at the cross to die to save you and to save me. Our sinless Savior died and the heavens were torn open. But this time, not to cut us off. Not, not to judge us. Not to cut us off from God's presence, but to bring God's presence to us. To tear the veil in two so that the holy of holies would come out into the world. Jesus. That God would come down to earth to restore what was broken at the vault. God came down to be with us. God passed through the waters of judgment for Adam's sin and for my sin and for your sin. Every one of us. So here's, here's the first point. Jesus is the ark. He is the ark. We are secured. If we have any security, it's in Him. When we are bound to Him, we are safe and dry, and dry in Christ. In Christ alone, we have hope. That's our only hope. His, his baptism on our behalf. In His body, united to His body, we have cleansing. That's where our cleansing comes from. Because we are united to him in the ark of Christ's church or else the body of Christ, we have peace. That's the only place. That's the only place. St. Maximum, Maximus of Turin, so a, a century after Tertullian, he said it like this. 
the Lord Jesus came to baptism and willed to save his holy body washed with water? Perhaps, and this is a good question to ask, some will say, why did he who is holy want to be baptized? Why did Jesus want to be baptized at all? Listen then, Christ is baptized not that he may be sanctified in the waters, but that he himself may sanctify the waters. So Jesus isn't sanctified. The waters are sanctified when he goes down into the waters. And he pu- he, it doesn't purify him. He purifies the streams when he touches them, Maximus says. For when the Savior is washed, then all water is cleansed. All water is cleansed for our baptism, and the fount is purified. So that the grace of the washing may be administered to the peoples who would come after Christ takes the lead in baptism then, so that the Christian peoples might follow with confidence that's good news jesus isn't cleansed by the waters he cleanses the waters for us so that we might be purified in him with water even even this morning purified with water because of jesus when the heavens are split open the waters that pour down upon the earth are no longer waters of judgment because he's taken that judgment upon himself on our behalf, they become living water from heaven. Living water, the living water that I will give, Jesus said to the woman by the well. I will give you this, and it will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So because of the baptism of Jesus, in our baptism, Brian, in your baptism here in a few minutes, we are saved from judgment. It's because of what he has done on our behalf. It's not anything we do, fundamentally. It's not any, anything that we say. It's not that we can hold it all together in our heads or that we could deserve it or anything like that. At the beginning of the gospel, at his baptism, and at the end of the gospel, at his baptism of his crucifixion, he is saving us. He is saving us. From first to last, he saves us. He passed through judgment to set us free. This is the gospel. This is what we were here to remember this morning. Nothing counts except Christ. That's what we all need here this morning. So therefore, I could say it like this. I could say, Christian, remember your baptism. This is your hope. Remember your baptism. Or I could say it in a different way. Therefore, boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the same confession. Remember your baptism, boast in the cross of Christ. He has done this on your behalf. Therefore, walk in newness of life. Walk by this rule, the Apostle Paul tells the Galatians. Order your life after this way. After this way. The way of baptism, the way of the cross. They're the same way. Boast in the cross of Jesus Christ, not yourself. Die every day. Find your life in Christ every day, every time you wake up. Find it in Him. He's your hope. In His baptism. In His rising so that you can rise to walk in newness of life. In His death for your death. In His rising again for our rising again. He is our hope. He is the point. This is our baptismal boast. This is what the Apostle Paul invites us into. 
My, my sister texted me this morning. She prays for me quite a bit, and she texts me sometimes that she's praying for me. And she quoted uh, a passage of Scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, but particularly Eugene Peterson's translation of these verses. And I, I just loved it. It blessed my heart, so I'm going to bless you with these words. Uh, this is such a good translation. Hear this. You'll remember, friends, this is what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, and he says to us today, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's sheer genius, I let you in on the secret, guys. I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is. Then, Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. I was unsure of how to go about this, and I felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death if you want to know the truth, and so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else, but the message came through anyway. The message came through anyway. God's spirit and God's power did it, not me which made it clear that your life of faith is a response to God's power, not to some fancy mental or emotional footwork by me or anyone else. Thanks be to God. First, Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did. That's what we proclaim. Our wounds cannot be healed lightly. And thanks be to God, Christ is the one who heals us. Peter said it like this, and I'm going to close with these words. Christ suffered once for sins. Once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Formerly they did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. They didn't obey. God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few were brought safely through water. God's patience was on display. Peter goes on to say, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. It's not anything we do. It's, not, it's never anything we do. It's something that God does on our behalf through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. That's what we're here to celebrate this morning. That's what we're about to do, Brian. So I invite you, come to Jesus, come to the waters and live. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right.